an idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. The Other in One Pro Podcast starts now. Welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast, episode number 26. I'm uh, very pleased to have with me uh, Gret Glier. And uh, he's got just a wonderful story about what he has created. And I really want to dig into that. Uh, the reason I want to dig into that is because uh, some of the podcasts in the past have been talking about COVID and how the shutdowns are going to have a, a dramatic effect on the third world. And um, it's my impression, just based on the evidence I've been seeing, that there's going to be far more deaths uh, from the lockdowns um, than from if we had uh, just had no uh, government-mandated lockdowns and people were just encouraged to socially distance. And uh, a lot of that is based on interruption of the food supply and interruption of production and how that's going to uh, significantly impact the third world that's already hanging on there by a string. Uh, so, Gret, why would I have you on to talk about the third world? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I guess I spent some time living in Malawi, Africa, which uh, people commonly refer to as the third world or the de developing world. Um, and ever since then, I've been working on my organization, DonorSea, which our tagline is we serve the poorest people in the world on the worst day of their lives. So, you know, in places like Kenya and even Malawi, they have like grocery stores, they have, they have an upper class too. Um, so what we kind of, what, who we kind of identify as the people that we serve is we always talk about the poorest half of the world. So there's kind of a, uh, there's a Pareto distribution in terms of um, how wealth is distributed in the world and 50% of the planet lives on less than $3 a day. And then the top 50% of the planet actually, you know, has this exponential increase in terms of their uh, prosperity. So um, in terms of the people that we serve and the people that we want to help, you know, lots of charities doing lots of good stuff out there. That what, what we like to do is we serve the poorest people in the world on the worst day of their lives. So the Donor C platform, I encourage everybody to head over there, www.donorc.com. The reason it's called Donor C, tell me a little bit about that and how you're uh, unique in some ways in this uh, charity space. Yeah, so it's called Donor C, Donor S-E-E. -E, and the concept there is that we help donors see where their money goes when they donate. So um, there's, you can, when you go to the platform, you get to pick out any project that you want to give to. All of the projects are video-based, so you can actually um, see the video of the people that you your money will be going towards. And then after the donation is made, you'll get a video of how exactly your money helped. So the example I often give is, let's say there's a girl in India and she needs hearing aids, you can donate to her and you'll get a video of her hearing for the first time like a week later. And we do this with all sorts of stuff. You can also provide housing for people who are homeless. You can provide education and get video updates of uh, a young girl in her uniform on, on the first day of class. Um, we have about 15 different categories on Donor C, and there's all sorts of ways to help the poorest half of the planet. And every single time you get a video update. And I can confirm that I helped build a um, school um, in Uganda a while ago. It's, uh, unfortunately, it's been over a year since I've used your platform and I apologize. <laughs> no worries. Um, but yeah, it, it's great. I mean, you see the walls go up and, and you see the roof go on and, and, and all this stuff. You have a specific tag uh, for coronavirus um, and a lot of those under coronavirus are 
you know, trying to continue education, trying to get food to people uh, who've been affected by uh, a lot of these lockdowns. So it's a, a really great direct way uh, to uh, affect people's lives. And you can directly see it instead of just kind of writing a check um, for, you know, Red Cross. I mean, uh, God bless them, but, you know, they, they do have a very large overhead because they are a very large organization. And so this is one way that you can really make sure a substantial portion of your money goes to them. I'm sure you guys have to take some type of cut in order to maintain the lights on and whatnot. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that, actually, because that's one of the things that I think people kind of try to hide behind. They, they try and almost, you know, skirt around the issue of overhead. And I'd like to be a part of that of evolving that discussion because I'm actually I always tell people I love overhead I'm a huge fan of overhead and the reason for that is if you want a high percentage of your money to go to people in need well then just use Western Union or use PayPal like just wire money to people but when you give your money to a charity that charity has spent a lot of time developing the necessary relationships to make a uh make a maximal impact in various different communities. So the overhead is actually a force multiplier. So I like overhead. I think when people spend money on overhead, um, you're, you're creating the groundwork to make lasting sustainable change. Um, so yeah, our overhead at DonorSea is about, um, the, the amount that we get per donation is about 13% on average. And we're proud to take that. And it allows us to have a staff and it allows us to um, develop long-term relationships that will last for a really long time because our goal is not to just hand money out to people our goal is to alleviate people out of poverty we don't want them to, to be sitting in poverty for the rest of their life we want to teach them the the skills needed to get themselves into a better situation and you can't do that without overhead so I think the conversation about overhead has been kind of um, just low resolution and I'm I want to be a part of the uh, of the solution to that Wow that's a great answer. That you. <laughs> was, you hit that one out of the ballpark. All right. Now, one thing I noticed on your webpage um, this time as I was uh, guilt funding some people <laughs> because I hadn't <laughs> done it for a while and I'm having you on, uh, was that some of them are tax deductible. Now, you uh, have you guys changed to? Uh, are you? Uh, it's like, it seems like there's always some of them. Is it like a partnership with some that allowed to be tax deductible? Because I thought you were running this kind of as a, as a business, but a business that helps people. Tell me yes, a bit about that. So, from just like a legal standpoint, we're set up as an LLC, and the 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 reason for that initially was we just wanted to have as little, um, as little glut as possible. When it, when it, I actually run a five hundred, I I started a five hundred one c three before I started donor c. The the five hundred one c three is called Homes H L W M S, and it provides housing for orphans and widows in Malawi. So I started this you know many many years ago, um, and we built one hundred fifty houses. But one of the things that is just a reality of five hundred one c threes is as you scale the paperwork and the accounting fees and the legal fees they balloon, and that was something that was not something that I wanted to happen with donors. I didn't want us to just be spending more and more money on lawyers and accountants um, unnecessarily. So, and I, you know, there's no charity in the world that provides the level of transparency that donors does. So I, I thought, you know, if we provide video, uh, 
video updates on every donation. If we also have like, we have like an Amazon five-star review system on everything. So we're like as open, as, as much of an open platform as can possibly be. And we want to be part of the redefinition of charity. But um, as time went on, um, a lot of our partners wanted to integrate a lot of the people that we partner with on the ground who are, you know, maybe they're um, in the slums of Kolkata, India, and they run a clinic there. They have a 501c3 and they would like to, they've, they, they wanted to use donorcy to, as a, as almost like an extension of, you know, this, like this one partner I'm thinking of in particular, they're called Hope Hospital. And they also have, you know, an Instagram account, a Twitter account, and they wanted to promote their donorcy account, but they wanted their donors to get tax deduction. So as we saw our partners promote their donorcy accounts to more and more people, we started saying, well, why don't, why don't we just offer the ability to for the people who want, who, who already have a, a 501c3 entity, um, they can provide tax deduction. There's no, like it's, it's a, there's no extra cost to it. There's already happening. Um, all we have to do is provide the receipts, which is completely automated. It doesn't require any extra work. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we decided to do. So we basically have a hybrid tax deductible model now. So some of our projects are partnered with 501c3 entities, and some of them are partnered with like international organizations. Maybe they're based out of the UK or Australia. And because of that, um, Americans can't get tax deduction on those organizations, but they're still doing awesome work. And a lot of times they're doing really important work that we need to get money to, even if no tax deduction is being had. So, um, yeah, so we still like, we just, our goal is to just serve the poorest people in the world on the worst day of their lives. And whatever means we can, we're, gonna, we're just looking for the most effective way to do that. Um, and in some cases that means offering tax deduction. And in some cases that means, it's too cumbersome to do that. And so we're just going to get money to people differently. Um, and right. so our donors can choose. And uh, I believe with the most recent round of uh, changing up the tax code, there's quite a bit more allowable, automatically allowable deduction. And so um, you'd really have to donate quite a bit to get out of that little range. So you might as well just give directly. Mm-hmm. And if you want to itemize your taxes and, you know, really give a lot. You should definitely do that too. Yeah, it went from six thousand dollars was the standard deduction to now it's twelve thousand. And if you're married, like I'm, I'm, I'm married to my wife Heather. The two of us, it's two versions of twelve thousand. So we literally have to give more than twenty four thousand dollars in a year to where it would start to make sense to itemize. So, um, so any kind of married couple and and just even your standard just average person um that's a lot that's that'd be a pretty steep uh ask for for the average person so um but yeah there's a lot of people who do give we have a lot of our own donors who give well over that um every year and because of that they want this the tax deduction and that's fine too like we're we're trying to just accommodate as many people as possible so what years were you over in malawi did you because you're a pretty young guy to spend 10 years in malawi you must have started when you're no i spent three years in malawi Uh, (laughs) three years yeah sorry about that yeah yeah so um because i'm 30 so 10 10 years ago i would have been in college i would have been 20 um but yeah in 2013 when i was 23 i lived in malawi from 2013 to 2016 Okay. And um, yeah, great experience, really loved it, but had to come back and start donorcy. And you can't run a tech organization from a country with, you know, uh, just unreliable internet and so forth. So had to come back and, and uh, be living in America. And uh, like you're talking about with that um, force multiplication, you know, you've impacted so many more people than you could just there on the ground. 
Um, so spreading out your little tentacles to help the entire world uh, is wonderful. Now, are there any uh, specific uh, countries that you uh, focus on? Or have you, I, I heard you in a previous podcast a while ago that you'd wanted to have some kind of a project in every country at some point. Yeah, we're still not at the place where, you know, that I think at the time when we wanted to work in every country, that was when we had a little bit of a different mission. Um, and our mission has evolved over time. I always wanted DonorSea to serve people living in extreme poverty. Um, but when I launched DonorSea, so it, there was such a large amount of like early buzz about it that as a, as a young founder, it became difficult for me to 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 like have confidence in the vision that I originally had for it. So there was a, a while where we would um, fundraise money for like US-based needs and so forth. And after a while, I just kind of slowly admitted to myself, like, no, the thing that you really want to work on, like me as a founder, the thing I really want to work on is um, extreme poverty alleviation. So uh, we've mostly focused in countries where there's a large percentage of the population who's living in extreme poverty, which is less than $1.90 a day. We have a lot of... Um, People living in uh, Tanzania, where we sorry, we have a lot of partners in Tanzania, in Malawi, in Sierra Leone, in Liberia, in Uganda, um, and then we're also starting to expand to certain places in uh, South America and uh, and even Asia. But um, yeah, mostly Sub-Saharan Africa is where we're focusing. So you're probably one of the rare people that doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to politics since you're. It's hard not to pay attention. <laughs> I wish I could. It's, it's like come, it comes like it, it, it gets in front of me somehow. <laughs> uh, it, it is really interesting uh, how there's so much uh, impact. And, and it's just, you know, everything has to be kind of spun like, oh, how does this change the next election? Oh, this is done this way. How's that going to impact whatever? And um, it, it's very very frustrating when you're just trying to uh, search for truth. Yeah. But uh, this is the Honor and Ron Paul podcast. And uh, uh, so uh, have you been very uh, politically active in the past? Uh, you mentioned that uh, you were running this, or at least uh, previously, you, you mentioned that you're running this, trying to um, harness free market abilities and harness capitalism. Um, so why don't you tell me a, a little bit about uh, how you came to capitalistic charities. Yeah, I think um, some of it was just exposure in college to, you know, I had a, a roommate who was very libertarian uh, and he had a really good answer for everything. I, I've just known a lot of people um, kind of in that space. But I think the thing that really helped some of that click for me was when I lived in Malawi. So like I said, I lived there from 2013 to 2016, and there were two things that happened in that time. The first one was there was a massive scandal called Cashgate in 2013, where billions of kwacha, the local currency there, was being uh, pocketed by government officials, money that was supposed to go to feeding programs and hospitals. So money that was supposed to go to the most vulnerable people in that in Malawi, it was instead going to um, just government officials and they were just pocketing it and there was never much accountability for that. Um, they had like a report come out, but no one went to prison. It was just, it was, it was an awful thing to see. And, and that kind of 
that kind of alerted me that um, government power, that, that there are dangers with government power. Um, the other thing I think was just in, like I lived there for three years. Three years is not a long time um, in a lot of ways, but the amount of development I saw in Malawi was substantial. And a lot of that was, so one of the things that Peter Thiel says is he says that develop, developed countries like America, like any Western country, should spend all of their time innovating. They should spend all of their time trying different things. Developing countries like Malawi, Liberia, Uganda, they should spend all of their time copying. They should spend, they, sh they should, you know, if you're in Malawi and you look at America, well, uh, America has highways and America has grocery stores and America has stoplights and America has a policing infrastructure. They have all these things. And if Malawi wants to increase their development, a great strategy for them is just to copy the things that have made the West successful. And over the course of three years, I saw how investment in these, um, in these entities really helped push the country forward. And if you look at it, one of the most remarkable things that you could ever see um, is if you look at a graph of the life expectancy in a country like Malawi, um, there was about a 20 year time period where every year the life expectancy went up one year. So the life expectancy in Malawi went from like 35 to 55 over the course of 20 years wow. from this rapid development. And, you know, I have concerns about what's going to happen now with a lot of the fallout from um, the pandemic and from lockdowns. But uh, I just seeing this development and seeing how um, it was the introduction. It was, I mean, it was the introduction of free market principles that really led to this. I got to see it firsthand over the course of three years. You wouldn't, it was like a different country. Mm. It was so crazy to watch um, just like in three years, such a, such a different, such a difference could be made um, by just allowing people the freedom to come in, start businesses, have customers produce products. I mean, it was just an amazing thing to see. And so it was, um, I think that experience really, clued me off too um and so yeah that's why i'm a i'm a big fan of being pro-business i'm not ashamed i'm not ashamed of that i don't think anyone should apologize for that it's really in the best interest of the poor yeah absolutely um i did some some charity work as a physician in fiji and um hmm. uh, mexico and peru and uh, and every every single one of those places had socialized healthcare. Um, but that wasn't, that didn't mean anything because they didn't yeah. have any healthcare to, to socialize. And uh, so uh, a lot of the clinics were that I went and volunteered at were cash pay clinics. And so one of my questions was, is, you know, why do people come here and pay when they could just go to the government hospital and get it for free? And they said, well, you pay just as much there because nobody's going to do anything for you unless you bribe them. Yeah. And that was a very kind of consistent thing. And, you know, Peru, this was in uh, the early 2000s. And just since then, Peru's uh, median income has doubled. And, you know, how much better is that going to be than, you know, all the government programs in the world? I mean, just doubling the average amount that everybody gets. It's... Uh, it's crazy. And then you look at places that, uh, you know, Vietnam and some of these places that have had uh, American capitalists come in and, uh, you know, steal the, the, the labor of these places and put up a big factory. 
well, those uh, factories, people love those factory jobs because they're oftentimes indoors and they're, they're making more than they could um, on these farms. And you see the dramatic increase in places like China. Uh, people forget that China was desperately poor as they were coming out of the full-blown full blown socialism, almost communism. And uh, it's the, the allowance of the market, even though it was small market reforms, China has dramatically improved. And a lot of Africa, same thing. You see a, a lot of improvements as these um, military dictatorships have, and you know, socialist uh, regimes have, have had cracks in them. And you know, that's going to be so helpful for Africa in general, just if we can just make these inroads and say, hey, dictator, you'll make a lot more if you just have a free market. So let's just start there. <laughs> you know, I, kind of in the um, Pinochet of Chile model, you know, he was, mm-hmm. he was a dictator, and, but he al- allowed for free market reforms. And, you know, to this day, uh, Chile is richer than a lot of the other South American countries. And so, I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly not a fan of dictators. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to come off as that. But, you know, if, you, if you're dealing with a situation that's subpar, uh, you can always improve it. If, if, you know, it's very few leaders are going to give up their powers. But if you can just you know tweak them to just say let some people be free in some ways, uh, it has so much impact. And if they have a direct way to get these people cash uh, to start their businesses through donor C, it's just a, a wins all around. That's one of the main things that I push people towards at donor C. So what you know there's. Poverty are the, the poverty in, in these various countries are it's often multifaceted. There's often several different dynamics that are going on. Um, so, like one of the examples I give a lot of the time is uh, there's these babies who are who are basically who are starving to death because they don't have enough milk from their moms, and often the mom is not able to produce milk because the mom is starving. So um, you just get these babies who are really emaciated, and like one of the you know you would just be shocked at the amount of children under five who die in these um, in these impoverished countries. So we really focus on trying to save these babies' lives because that's like a, that's a human life. We, we believe human life is precious and uh, that's a human life that will grow up and have the opportunity to flourish. And it's really just, a, it's often like a $200 um, project that provides formula milk for the baby. But here's the thing, when you provide formula milk for a baby and it becomes healthy again, and you know, it's, it's back to its, it's, a comfortable weight it's not like that's the end of the it's not like okay you can just pat yourself on the back and be like okay we're done i saved the baby's life what happens with the rest of the baby's life it still needs to grow up it still needs a job someday it still needs to be a productive member of society and um and just taking care of it for that one six month window is often not going to be enough so um the first step is saving the baby's life obviously in an urgent situation you provide an, an urgent solution but then uh, you have to fi- find some kind of sustainable way to grow- help the baby grow up. So what we do is we identify the caretaker of these babies and we set the mother up with a business. 
Um, and our partners in Tanzania, they often do things like they have like knitting, uh, sewing businesses, fruit stands, things like that. Very simple. Again, about 250 bucks to set them up with a, a business as a one-time kind of um, injection into their business. But then that gives them a recurring income every single month. And, um, and that allows the baby to grow up and have a chance at life. Uh, and our, our partners in Tanzania, in, in America, the, the success rate of a business is like one in 10. It's very, very low. In Tanzania, with our partners, the success rate of the, the women who start these businesses is about 80%. And they have a huge amount of motivation to make these businesses work because it's, a, it's recurring income for them. So, um, yeah, we really push people towards uh, the entrepreneurship projects on DonorSeed because they make – and they're, they're not as – they're not as graphic as, as saving the baby's lives, which are, is really important, but they create such a lasting impact in the lives of, of that community that, um, I mean, you know, I just love promoting them. That's excellent. Uh, and I encourage everybody, www.donorsee, as in I'm seeing things, uh, .com. And uh, can they follow you on any social media platforms? Yeah, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and then I'm personally on all those as well. Uh, lately, I've been posting a lot, especially on Instagram, about um, about the lockdowns in these various different countries. I think people don't quite understand the – I'm sure your audience probably has a good idea, but I think in general, uh, the just the general mainstream conversation doesn't quite understand how devastating these lockdowns are going to be. So I've been posting about that quite a bit. Um, on my social media and i'm just really i'm really encouraging people to pay attention to uh just what's what's going to be in uh basically a hunger crisis like we've never seen before at least in my lifetime and um it's already happening in several places and then obviously in yemen um we're just it's just a complete atrocity right now so uh yeah really i really pay i really encourage people to pay attention to that like you know these people being hungry and starving is something that should not happen anymore in our, it just with the amount of um, the amount of technology and wealth and resources that our planet has. And uh, I would love for that to be just, I would love for that to be something that, that the mainstream conversation pays attention to. I really think that's, it's a really important thing for people to keep an eye on. And I think a lot of people, uh, don't pay attention to it because we pay attention to things that we think we can control. And now through um, your work and uh, several other wonderful charity organizations, uh, you can actually have control over that. Uh, and you can directly help somebody and get a video that says, yes, this actually did happen. You're not just sending it into a black hole. Um, and so I, I just really appreciate having you on. We'll link all of those things at um, www.honorandronpaul.com slash EP26. Uh, and I strongly encourage you to uh, hit some of those donations and I'll go do the same. Gret, it's been a delight having you on. Yeah, thank you so much.